0: Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages and Podcast. This week, our lead pastor Mike Yearly continues his series entitled The Message and the Movement Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today, Pastor Mike will lead us in a study of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, with a message titled Jesus and Money. <laughs> Good morning. Isn't that great? We'll talk about that later. I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Mike, and if this is your first time to Rocky Peak, so glad you're here. Inside of your um, message, uh, your bulletin of uh, your program for the weekend is a uh, message note sheet to help you follow along the series that we're in. We're in, a, in the midst of a long series right now, ca- net right now called "The Message and the Movement." It's about the the most famous sermon ever delivered in the history of the world. It's it's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out for his followers what does it look like to follow him, his what's the message of his movement. And today we're talking about God and money, as you can see, and so we'll launch in that in just a minute. Uh, before we do that, first of all, I want to thank you for uh, praying for me. I know so many of you have prayed, emails, letters, and so on, uh, concerned about my voice. And uh, you know, I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago, they scoped it out, and, and uh, it turns out that apparently they think I have what's causing the problem is what a lot of you have. It's called acid reflux, where the acid in my stomach is escaping up and actually frying my vocal cords. And, uh, and so they, they've got me on a new diet, you know, no caffeine, uh, 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 no uh, coffee, uh, no chocolate, uh, no life. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty much ready to go and be with Jesus. Uh, my new <laughs> prayer uh, uh. But uh, uh, anyway, the, the good news is they got a diagnosis. The bad news is, is that so far it's made absolutely no difference in my voice. I mean, How are you feeling better? No, not really. I feel exactly the same. Well, hopefully over time the medication and all that will kick in. So I appreciate your ongoing prayers as we work with that. Hopefully we've got a diagnosis. And so we're going to start in just a moment. But um, I, I just want to say a special welcome. If your name happens to be Ronnie today and you have parents in Indiana, a dad and a stepmom in Indiana, I want to welcome you. I got an email from your, your uh, folks late last night, and uh, I'd love to talk with you after this service, okay? So um, uh, let's pray together, and then let's go into our time of teaching. Father, we're just uh, excited about what you're doing here at our church. We're excited about what you're doing in our lives. Lord, As week by week we're learning what does it look like to be a follower of you. What does it look like to be transformed from the inside out, to be part of your movement. And so, God, today as we come and talk about this important topic of, of our relationship with you and our money, our finances, God, I pray that you just open our eyes to see new things perhaps we hadn't before and that we would really, if we haven't yet, give ourselves to you in this important area. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it was a moment that he'll never forget. It was the saddest moment of his life. It was really like a crossroads in his life. You see, he'd grown up in the city like all the other Jewish kids his age, and he'd grown up in a wealthy home, so he had all the privileges. He had uh, everything going for him, the right kids, the right schools, the right opportunities. And he made the most of them in his life. He had done well though he was young he'd risen to a place of leadership in the community and financially he was doing really well up till recently all was going well but but recently he'd gone through a spiritual crisis in his life it all happened when this young teacher from Nazareth came to town and began talking about the kingdom of god and to be honest up till that point in time he'd always of himself, his relationship with God, in good terms. I mean, spiritually, from the time he was a little boy, he took his relationship with God seriously. I mean, he'd gone to Sabbath school. He'd learned the stories that the other kids had been raised on as well. The stories of Moses, the stories of King David, the stories of Samuel. From the time he was little, he took God's word seriously. He'd, he'd taken the Ten Commandments as his own personal code of conduct. And so he'd always thought of himself as having a good relationship with God, and then this young teacher comes to town and everything changes. He found himself riveted by the teaching of this young man. He found himself impressed by the miracles and it was, a, it was creating a hunger in his heart for God. He began to wonder, did he really know God at all? It was a crisis of faith. He, he was beginning to wonder in his life, if he were to die, would he even... Make it into the kingdom of God that was coming. And so that one day it happened. That one day he got word that Jesus and his men were taking off and leaving town. These things had been brooding in his mind the last few days. They were not just academic questions for him. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. They were boring a hole in his soul. And so when he heard that Jesus was leaving, something broke. He panicked. He just knew he had to get to Jesus before he left. And so he took off that day, and though he was rich, and though he was a leader and his dress in the finest, it was as if he were 12 years old again, running through those familiar streets of his youth. And he was running, he had to get to him. When he got to the edge of town, he looked off in the distance, and the young teacher and his men were on the edge of town, on the, on the road leading out. Once he saw them, he picked up his pace. And by the time he got there, he was breathing hard. As he approached, Jesus and his men heard the footsteps. They turned around, surprised to see this young man running in his fine garments. And when he got there, he didn't waste any time. He went straight face down right to his knees. He looked up on Jesus and he asked a question that had been been burning in his heart ever since the first day he heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. And he said to him, teacher, what does it take to be part of your kingdom? What does it take to be part of your movement? What does it take to make sure I make it to the next life and receive eternal life. And and that moment, from that point on, was frozen in time. He'll never forget it. He'll never forget the look on Jesus' face. He'll never forget the dialogue that took place, the questions that were asked, the answers that were given, the crisis that was created. It was a a moment frozen in time as Jesus locked eyes with him. And it was as if Jesus looked within him and knew his story and knew his background and knew his struggles, and he said to the young man, he said, you know the word. You know what's required of you. He began to recite some of the Ten Commandments. Don't rip off your neighbor. Tell the truth. Be faithful to your wife. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man looked up and with all honesty said, I- I've done that since the time I was a little boy. And Jesus' heart went out to this young man. He was touched with his sincerity. He was touched with his humility, throwing caution to the wind, running through the streets in front of all of his peers. And Jesus' heart went out to him, and he loved this man, and he said, there's just one thing, there's one thing that's standing between you and following me. There's one thing that's standing between you and being part of my kingdom. There's one thing that's standing between you and eternal life. Disciples looked on, and you could see the young man's mind spinning. I mean, this is what it was all about. This is what he came for. If he had a pad of paper, he would have pulled it out and started taking notes. He was ready. This is what it was all about. He'd run that day to get the answer to this question. But but the answer took him by surprise. He never saw it coming. It was like a curveball that he wasn't prepared to hit. It was like a punch. He just never saw. As Jesus looked straight in his eyes, this is what you need to do. You need to go home and you go back to your town and you need to liquidate all your assets, you to sell your house and dismiss your servants and sell your livestock and cash it all in and, and give it to the poor in your city, and then I want you to come and follow me, and you'll be part of my movement, you'll be part of the kingdom, and you'll be in, and you'll have treasure in the next life. And I don't know what the young man was expecting to hear, but it wasn't like that. And all of a sudden, once again, he was stuck. He was like deer in the headlights. He couldn't move. He's on his knees. He's locked eyes with Jesus, but he can't let go. He doesn't know what to say. He's waiting for plan B. He's waiting for an alternative. What's your second offer? But Jesus didn't flinch. He looked him eye to eye. And pretty soon, even though this young man was so passionate about wanting to connect with God, even though so badly wanted to say yes, he found his heart saying no. One of the saddest moments in his life as he bowed his head and he, he broke eye contact with Jesus. which was so awkward. And finally, without saying a word, he got up. He stood to his feet, no longer running. He turned slowly and walked back into town And he will always say it was the saddest day of his life. Today we're continuing the series that we've been in now for a long time on the the message of the movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We come today to to a new section. It's the last half of chapter 6 of Matthew. It starts at verse 19. It goes through verse 34. It's a section where Jesus talks to us about our priorities in life. What does it look like to follow him in terms of our priorities? The famous verse is in this passage. If you have your Bibles, let's look at chapter 6 and verse 33. This is sort of the heart of the passage. I know a lot of you know this verse, verse 33. In fact, if you have your Bible, let's read it together. Ready? Let's go. But seek first his kingdom... And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's read it once again. But seek first his kingdom... And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus says that when we become part of his movement, part of his kingdom, that we have a top priority. And that top priority is to seek the advance of his kingdom, his movement on planet earth, right? His will, his agenda for for our lives. And his righteousness. uh, He's been teaching us through the whole Sermon on the Mount. What does it look like to live life the right way? He says that needs to be your top priority, be living life the right way. And he says, and if you do that, if you put my movement, my agenda in your life on top, I'll take care of the rest of your life. And so that's the heart and soul of this whole second half of Matthew chapter 6. And so one of the big biggest competitors in our life, right, to keep us off track from seeking Christ in his movement One of the biggest competitors is our finances, right? It's materialism. It's the stuff of our life. And so Jesus wants to hone in focus in on this. And it goes from 19 to to verse uh, 34. Today we're just going to be looking at the first couple verses of this section of Scripture where Jesus is going to talk to us. He's going to use a couple analogies to talk to us about our finances. He's going to talk to us about, first of all, two treasures right? There's an earthly treasure, heavenly treasure, and two masters, God and money. So he's going to use these two analogies to help us get at this. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up there to chapter 6 and uh, verse uh, 19, and we'll get started. Okay, chapter 6, verse 19. It says, uh, do not... uh, Jesus do not store up, as my followers, he said, I don't want you to store up for yourself treasures on earth. Now, uh, Jesus is not saying that we should not be financially responsible, right? Uh, the Bible talks, especially in the book of Proverbs, about working hard. It talks about saving. It talks about planning, right? And so, so the Bible, uh, Jesus is not saying, uh, we don't think about these things, but he says, this cannot be our primary emotional focus in life, right? That there's only room for one focus in our life. That's the kingdom. Anything else is a distraction. And so when we make our life about how much money we make or how much money we can save or what we can buy or what we can earn, when our life becomes focused, emotionally focused to these issues, it distracts us from God's priorities, which is kingdom, what he's doing in our life, right? So he says, do not uh, store up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, he's going to give us a couple reasons why we should not lay up treasures on earth. The first reason has to do with vulnerability. He says the thing about treasures in this life is just a fact of life, is that things go bad. And we've all been there, right? There's a car you've got to have. There's a, a, a dress, if you're a woman, that, uh, that you, you've got to have. Or, or there's a motorcycle, if you're a guy, or whatever. And we just got to have this thing. And you buy you, you know, everything, you got to get this thing, right? And then once you get this thing, about five years later, it's like, yeah, garage sale type, right? It's like, whatever, it's just that old lousy thing. This thing we once had to have, is it's just the way stuff is. Just in this life, stuff goes bad. It's temporary. It's vulnerable. I read a great story about a month ago uh, in the LA Times. It turns out that back in 1957, the state of Oklahoma was having their 50-year anniversary. And all the attention was going to the city of Oklahoma City, which is the capital, right? And so Tulsa is getting very jealous of this national attention. And so they get some consultants in from New York, and they say, what you need is a big publicity stunt, and here's what we recommend. It's what you need to do is you need to buy a brand-new car. They they suggested a 1957 Plymouth Belvedere, right, with the fins and everything. Get this brand-new car, build this huge concrete vault, and and put the car in the vault, make this vault so, like, even a nuclear bomb can't get in. You know, just, like, make it impervious to destruction, waterproof, and so on. And, and put this thing and put all this memorabilia in, and, and then bury it beneath the Tulsa County Courthouse, all right? And then what we'll do is in 50 years, we will dig it up. And I went, so what you do is you have a contest, and you have all the people in Tulsa, they all guess how many people will be in the whole state of Oklahoma in 50 years from now, in 2007. And then the person who gets the closest vote will win this amazing car, classic car, 50 years from now. And it, it was this great idea, and they decided to do it. And so they, they, uh, they do it, and sure enough, national attention comes, right? Newspapers all over the nation writing about the story. They've got a uh, uh, Life magazine. Remember that? Life magazine. Uh, they had this huge cover spread, you know, three girls sitting on top of this Plymouth Belvedere before it goes into this crypt. And, and so, anyway, so the story was that in June, it's June, right? June 2007, 50 years. It's time for this thing to be brought up. And so the grandstands are full of people back in Tulsa. Everyone's there. We can't wait to see this classic, beautiful car. And they bring it up, and it turns out that, that as they're bringing up, the, I mean, they got the huge crane there, right, bringing up this huge cement vault. they got the hazmat workers there ready in case anything had gone wrong. And uh, sure enough, this vault wasn't as impervious as you might think, that it was full of 2,000 gallons of water. And so this 57 Belvedere that had gone in so beautiful, it comes out. It's full of rust, barnacles all (laughs) over it. The rear end's dragging on the ground. The upholstery's totally rotted out. Only the springs are left. The engines falling, just crumbling, literally crumbling apart. The the lady who's the organizer of this she bursts into tears the moment she sees it. It was a disaster, you know. And Jesus says, that's just the way it is. Is it stuff in this life, it rusts, it, it gets stolen, it, it decays. There's dot-coms, you know, dot-com bursts, some market downturns, there's inflation. And he says, and even if you do succeed in protecting your treasures, hey, you can't take it with you, right? So, so the stuff of this life is it's just, it's temporary. He says, let's think about this realistically. He says, because of that, then verse 20 he says, "So because of that, I want you to store up your treasures in heaven. Now, how do you do that? We'll talk about it later. But uh, store up yourself <coughs> treasures in heaven, in the next life, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal." So the first reason he says, "Hey, hey, make sure you're investing financially in the right stuff. You know, the next life, not this life. Make sure because the first reason is this life is very vulnerable and temporary. The second reason, though, comes in verse 21, that because where your treasure is." there your heart will be also. This is a very profound insight of Jesus, that our hearts follow our wallets. This is the way it is, human beings. That whatever we invest in financially captures our heart. If you're all about getting rich, it will capture your heart, you see. If you're all about, man, i got to have that new house, you become all about your new house. If, you become, uh, if you're uh, uh, investing in the next life, your heart becomes about the next life. Our hearts follow our pocketbooks, and it's a very profound insight. And so if you want to have a, life, uh, a heart for the next life, you have to invest financially. That's what he's going to say. All right. Now, let's go on to the second analogy. We're going to skip down to verse 24. We're going to pick up uh, verse 22 and 23 next week. <coughs> Different message. In verse 24, he uses a second analogy. He says, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. He says, no one, absolutely no one. He says, if you're a slave, you can only have one master. Why? Because if you have two different masters, they're going to have different priorities. Sooner or later, you're going to be in a bind. You have to choose which one you you follow, right? So you can't really serve. Like you might be able to do it for a short amount of time, but sooner or later, it's going to lead to conflict. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So catch this, you cannot serve God in money. Jesus says that in our lives, we have to make a decision as his followers. If If you don't care about following Jesus, you don't have to make this decision, right? But he says, if you want to be a follower, you want to be part of My movement, every one of us has to come to a crossroads experience in our life where we decide who's the top dog. Am I serving God or am I serving money? Because sooner or later, there will come a conflict between the two. We will have to decide. And it says, it's impossible to be my followers and have not made this decision. Now, that's the passage, all right? That's the passage. And here we're going to do today is we're going to roll up in this whole series, right? We've, it's about learning what it looks like to follow Jesus at the church here at Rocky Peak. What does it look like to be his followers? And every week we've been kind of unpacking a new area, and today the topic is what does it look like to follow God in the area of our finances, right? So there in your note sheet, you'll see two, uh, kind of two principles that we're going to spend our time with today and use to get at this teaching of Jesus. Okay, so number one. The first thing Jesus wants us to understand is that what we do with our money, it really matters, Okay, that spiritually, what you do with your money as a follower of you, that that really matters. That, that in other words, but let's put it this way. There's a powerful link between your spirituality and your finances, right? Now, there's a lot of people that would disagree with Jesus on this. There was a lot of people say, no, I don't think that's true. I think it's possible to kind of stay in control of my finances and yet be close with God. Right? There's a lot of people who would believe that. In fact, in Jesus' own day, the spiritual leaders of his day, we can call them the Pharisees, right? that they, they believe this. In fact, look at on your note sheet. I put this verse from <clears throat> Luke chapter 16. You'll notice it. It's the same verse, just in a different context where Jesus is teaching it. <clears throat> same verse we just read in Matthew 6. No servant can serve two masters. He will, either he will hate the one he'll love the other, you will be devoted to one despise the other. You cannot serve God money. So we just read that, right? From Matthew. Here it is in Luke 16. Now catch this. The Pharisees, right there, the spiritual leaders, it says, who loved money, right? That was their God. who loved money. They heard all this and catch this, they were sneering at Jesus. Now, isn't this interesting? They heard him teaching, and they heard him saying, hey, look, as fo- if you want to be really you want a relationship with God, you've got to decide. Is it God or is it money? You have to decide. It's, it's core decision. And, and they're pushing back on that. They're sneering at him. We don't believe that's true. We think it's possible to have a close relationship with God and yet still be in control of our own finances. We believe that. We're sneering at you. Now, that's the same today. There's many today who would not agree with Jesus on this point, but I want you to be clear that he's very clear on this. Um, Sometimes today, people sneer at Jesus on this point for good reason. I read a story. It's in yesterday's LA Times front page, which kill me, but anyway, it was a front page story about a religion editor um, who had come to faith in Christ, and yet and be, and be, then has been covering covering religious groups the last eight years, and through that experience has now given up his faith in Christ. And one of the primary reasons is the way that Christian leaders and organization handle finances, right? And so he would cite evidence from from like Christian uh, TV networks, right? He would cite evidence from faith healers, basically saying if you want to be tight with God, you want to be part of the kingdom, you, you need to have faith. The best way to have faith is to give your money to me. And it shows God that you're serious and then God will heal you or God will answer your prayers, right? And we've all heard this, right? And so there are people today in the world who are very skeptical That there's a connection between our spirituality and our finances because the principle's been abused. I get that. If you're one of those people, I get that. Okay, but here's what I'm here to tell you: that if you you want to be really clear, that Jesus is extremely clear that there is a link between our spirituality and our finances, and that in what we do with our money really matters. There's no question about it. Now you see it today. The story of this story started the day with right the story of this rich, young leader. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know the story as the story of the rich, young ruler. Okay, three people have been Christians for a while. Good. For the rest of you, let me, you know, I I like to call him the rich, young CEO. But anyway, so this guy, there's, there's a lot of things that we don't know about this guy. We don't know, for example, what city he grew up in, where he lived, right? We don't know how he made his money. Did he inherit it? Did he make it? Some combination. We don't know that. Um, We don't know what he led. We know he's a ruler, but ruler, we don't know that, okay? So there's a lot we don't know, but there's a lot we do know. We know that he was young, so probably 20s or 30s in that culture. You know, anything under 50 to me, but anyway, 20s or 30s, right? Uh, We know he was very influential. He was a leader, right? He was a ruler. And we also know he was very wealthy, in fact, two of the Gospels make a point to tell us he's very wealthy. Not just wealthy, he's very wealthy. Right? That's what we know. But here's what we also know. Spiritually, we know this kid took his relationship with God seriously. And I want you to, I want you to really hone in on this. He took his relationship with God seriously. He had grown up on the stories of the Old Testament. He took the word of God very seriously. He had taken the Ten Commandments as his personal code of conduct, right? When Jesus said to him, keep the commandments, he said, I have. And Jesus said, oh, what are you talking about? You have not. Jesus said, yeah, you have. I mean, this guy was sincere, right? He knew the word. He loved the word. He wanted to follow God. He was hungry for Jesus, wasn't he? I mean, this was a guy. This is not normal behavior for a rich young leader to run through the streets in front of your peers and to fall on your knees. What would be more appropriate is to stroll gently as if it's no big deal because you have life under control. Hey, Jesus, by the way, I've got a question for you. When someone runs through the streets in their fine designer clothes and falls on their face in the dirt, this guy is hungry for God, isn't he? He's desperate. And Jesus loved this guy. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, it actually says this, Jesus loved him. Now, of course, Jesus loved everybody, but there's very few times where it says Jesus loved somebody. Only two or three times in all the Gospels. There's something about this guy that Jesus' heart went out to. He loved this guy. I think it was his honesty, it was his integrity, it was his humility, it was his passion, right? Jesus loved this guy, right? So this guy's got a lot going for him. He's grown up on the Word, serious about his relationship with God, desperate for God, seeking after God. Jesus loves him. I mean, we, can you design a better scenario for someone getting into the kingdom, right? I mean, it's, we are right there. You just share the four spiritual laws and he's in, right? You're like... Just as I am. Just saying, just as I am two times and the guy comes in. Right? But here's what I want you to catch. With all that he had going for him, there was only one reason why he did not enter the kingdom of God. And it was because of his money. Right? Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, and three of you have, <laughs> if you've been a Christian for a while, you know how we handle this passage right, in Christian circles. We tell the story, and then we say, however, putting neon lights around this, however, um, now in this case, it's true that Jesus asked him to sell everything he had, but it's a very unusual case, right? We're very quick to say this, but it's a very unusual case. In fact, you will notice throughout the Gospels that Jesus doesn't ask anyone else to sell everyone they had, and probably what was happening is this guy was very wealthy, and money was his God, right? And so because it was his god, he had to give it up. And and so that's not what Jesus asks of all of us, but in his case it's what he asked of him, right? So we're very quick to sidestep this passage as a unique asterisk moment in the life of Jesus, right? Now, what I just said, everything I just said is absolutely true. Right? Jesus doesn't ask everyone to do that. And so absolutely true, but here's the point we miss is that while Jesus does not ask every follower to sell everything and give it to the poor, he does ask every follower for total control of our finances, right? In other words, he doesn't ask us to give it all to the poor, but he asks us to be willing to, right? You say, are you sure? Absolutely sure. Because look at Matthew 6. Look at this verse, Matthew six 24. We've seen it in Matthew 6. We've seen it in Luke chapter 16. Look what he says, no one can serve two masters. Now, any exceptions to that? No one, right? Look at the last line, you cannot serve God in money. He's really clear that if we are going to follow him, that this is an issue we have to settle. There has to be a transfer of ownership of everything we are and everything we have. Right? When we come to Jesus, if we're going to follow him, we have to say, okay, all that I am, all that I have is yours. That's part of the whole process. And so from, now point, from this point on, what I give, what I spend, what I save, what I invest, I need your direction. But I want that underneath your care, right? Underneath your umbrella. Uh, I am now the steward of your resources. See, Jesus, I'm part of your movement, and everything I have, all my resources become part of your movement, right? And so this is a crossroads experience that every follower of Jesus has to go through sooner or later. The sooner or later we have to come. And here's the thing. Once we go through it, it takes us to a whole new level in our relationship with the king and in our effectiveness in the kingdom. Because it's such a core part of our life that once we release this, it's like that's why Jesus talks about it so much here. Because he you knows that our finances is a key to our heart. It's amazing. I've talked to some pastors and they'll say, and I've experienced this too. People will talk to me about the most intimate details of their life. They'll talk about their sex life in the bedroom, but they won't talk to me about their finances. Why? Because this is so key to who we are and that's why Jesus focuses in on it, right? Okay, so that's the first thing. The first thing we take from this, from the teaching of Jesus, is that what we do with our money really matters. The second principle goes like this. That it's important... To invest in our future now. It's important to invest in our future now. Um, if you spend any time with Jesus, if you're, if you're new at this whole Jesus thing, yeah, take my word for this, and you can check it out on your own. But if you spend any time with Jesus in the Gospels, one thing that becomes very clear is that for Jesus, this life is all about the next life. You can't really make sense of his teaching until you understand that. To him, this life is just the lobby into eternity. It's not that it's not important. It's extremely important. And and only those who are most clear about this reality live this life well now. See, the clearer we are about the next life, the the more focused we are in this life. And one of the areas this shows up the most is in his teaching about finances. And what he says is that it's very important that we learn to be good money managers, that we learn to, to, to manage our money well. And what that means is that we invest our funds in the coming kingdom, in the next life. Now, uh, if you ask, uh, uh, the way he puts it, is, right, puts uh, lay up treasures in heaven. Um, now, um, let's take this one step further. Jesus feels so strongly about this, so what he says is if we don't learn how to invest our finances in the next life. We are a fool, right? And that's pretty strong language, isn't it? Now, what's a fool? A fool is someone who just doesn't understand how life works. Like, we, we've all known people, always a day late, always a dollar short, always losing the job, never, they can't see the consequences of their actions, right? That's the definition of a fool. You, you, don't, you can't see the big picture, you never learn to pay now so you can play later. You always play now so you, can, and you end up paying later, right? And, and so that's what a definition of a fool. And Jesus says if we don't learn to invest our financial resources in the next life, he says that we are a fool. Now, now, you say to me, Mike, does he really say, I mean, doesn't he say we're just not wise? I mean, does he really use, like, the word fool? Like, I don't think Jesus would say that because Jesus said you shouldn't use that word. Uh, I am not explain it. It's the word he uses, all right? Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. Once upon a time, there was a man. He was a rich man. In fact, he was very rich. He had a big farm, big barns, big home. And one year, he's not sure what to do. He's got a dilemma, and the dilemma is that his barns are still full from last year. He's got so much stuff. He's so wealthy. And he's got this bumper crop that comes in, and he doesn't know what to do. And so... Being a smart business, he decides what to do, is I will tear down my current barns. I will build bigger barns. I'll take this bumper crop. I'll stash it away. Man, I can retire. I'm going to kick back, enjoy the easy life. Uh, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. And, and so from a business perspective, that sounds pretty smart um, if this life is all there is. All right. But if there's more to life than this life, if this life is just the lobby into the next life, then all of a sudden it becomes looking kind of stupid, right? And so let's see what Jesus says. Luke chapter 12 and verse 20. Here's what Jesus says to Mr. Businessman. Verse 20, he says, But God said to him, You fool. Now, underline that. He says, the reason you're a fool is because uh, tonight you're going to have a heart attack. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And, uh, and then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? He said, um, you're planning on living a long time and living off this stuff, but the fact is, tonight you're going to have a heart attack. And so, uh, whoops, you know, who's going to get what you stored up? Um, answer, not you. <laughs> Now, at this point in the story, we're feeling pretty good, right? Man, what a fool that guy was. Man, he is really foolish. I'm so glad I'm not that guy. We're like, uh, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that, right? Boy, if I had the big barns, you know, and their fault, man, I would do it differently. I'm just so glad I'm not that guy. Okay, now look what Jesus says next. He says, uh, This is how it will be for anyone. Now, underline that. This is how it will be for anyone. See, th- this is a story about the rich fool, but it's a story for all of us. This is how it'll be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but's not rich towards God. This isn't a story about the rich fool, this is a story about all of us. All of us as kingdom followers. He says, any time in our life, we do what the guy in the video just did, right? The pie. It's like, okay, I got the house, I got the car, I got the second car, I got the education, I got my hobbies, I got the thing, I got stuff for me. Oh. I've stored up for myself, right? Oh, but I ran out, God. I'm so sorry. Right? Jesus says, this is not the, the fool story. This is all of our story. And for any of us in our life who store up for ourselves, not sure God, he says, you're just being foolish. Because the wise person takes the long term look at his finances. And the long term look of our finances is not retirement in this life. It's extends into the next life. So, so it raises the question, well, then how do we store up treasure in heaven? What, what does he mean? And fortunately, Jesus gives us the answer. Let me give you the answer, and then we'll back it up, all right? Here's the answer. The answer is you store up treasures in heaven anytime time you use your financial resources to advance the kingdom, right? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So anytime we use our finances to advance his kingdom. Now, what might that look like? Well, that might be giving to local kingdom work, right? Like your local church, wherever that is, right? That uh, the whole concept of the tithe in the Old Testament, the 10% off the top thing, that might look like that. It may look like giving to other ministries, right? Parachurch organizations, uh, pregnancy crisis centers, things like that, You you know, Campus Crusade for Christ, the missions movements, right? It could look like giving to the poor. Remember, we had a whole message in that uh, two or three weeks ago Jesus and the poor, right? So, when we give to the poor. So, whenever we use our finances to advance the kingdom movement, you see, we are transferring funds from earth to heaven. Here's the thing what Jesus would say is, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of time. Okay? Yeah. You can make an electronic spiritual transfer. Now, I don't understand how this all works, but I want to be very clear about it. I wish I did understand how it works, but I want to be very clear about it. Jesus is very clear that what we give here determines, to some degree, our quality of life there. Very clear about it. Now, how that all works out, and, you know, it's heaven and we're all happy, right? So, how happy can you be? I don't understand how that all works, but he's very clear about it. Now, you say, well, Mike, where do you get that from? Well, let's go back to the story today we started with, right, the rich young ruler. Remember, Jesus has this conversation. I put this on your note sheet. I put Mark's version, Mark's account. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus looks at him and he says, and, well, first, he looks at him and he loves him. First of all, notice that. Okay, so, so here, I want you to catch this. When Jesus talks to us about our finances, I want you to be clear in this. It is because he loves you. Uh, when uh, 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 when, When my kids were young, I would give them financial advice, right? I would teach them about money and how to use money, right? I did that because I loved them. I love my kids. Jesus is here giving us financial advice because he loves you, he loves me, and he wants to tell you, here's how to get the very most out of life, right? So he loves this guy. His heart's connected, and he says, one thing you lack, you need to go sell everything you have. Give to the poor, right? And you will have treasure in heaven. So how do you build up treasure in heaven? By giving to the poor now. You see, when you pursue kingdom priorities now, it builds up treasure in your heavenly account. Now, in the New Testament, The Apostle Paul picks up on this teaching of Jesus and kind of spells it out even more. So I want you to uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Well, Paul will use the exact language of Jesus and just build on it. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. First Timothy chapter six verse seventeen, command those who are rich in the present world. Um, now we talked about this a few weeks ago about Americans. That pretty much puts us right in there, right? Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. You know, trust in your bank account, which is so uncertain. You know, moths, rust destroy. Right, but to hope, put your hope in God, who to catch us, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Today we saw the story of the rich young ruler sell it all. Jesus doesn't call all of us to sell it all. He provides things for us to richly enjoy, right? The, the real issue here is not selling it all. The issue is, do we come to a place in our life where he is the Lord of our finances? What do you want us to give? What do you want us to spend? What do you want to bless us with, right? What do you want us to invest? What do you want us to save? Right? So he, notice here, he doesn't say to the, those who are rich, give it all away. He doesn't say that. He says, no, God's given these things to you for your enjoyment. But here's what you do verse 18 command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Right? Kingdom priorities. Catch this. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. As a firm foundation, it's like you're building your house in heaven, right? You're laying that foundation for this home up there for the coming age so that they may take hold of, of the life that is truly life. This life is all about the next life, right? Right? This life is just an entry. That's what the life what it's all about. You want to be able to reach out and take that with both hands and live your life for that life because that's what it's all about. He says, how do you do that? How do you reach out and make the next life more real? By investing in things that affect the next life. Because where your heart is, your treasure is there is where your heart is. See, so you reach out and you grab the next life by investing in kingdom purposes. Now, Years ago, I uh, was re- uh, listening to a message by uh, uh, Pastor Bill Hybels. You know, pa- uh, Bill is the founder of a real large church back in the Midwest, Willow Creek, a uh, very influential church, great church. And uh, and so he's teaching on the Ten Commandments. In this particular message, he's teaching about uh, this this the conversation that Jesus is having with a, a, kind of a, new, a brand new Christian, you know? A person, okay, Lord, I give you my life. I follow you. Everything I have is yours. And, and now he says he's kind of imagining this conversation. And, uh, and I, I cut out an excerpt of that here. It's a little long, but it's kind of worth it. I think it just really characterizes what Jesus has. Remember, we're, he's calling us to be part of his movement, right? Jesus is calling us to follow him, to be part of this adventure, what he's saying is you can't go on the trip with me. You can't be part of the adventure if you're, if you're hung up on your finances, you see. If, if, you're, if you're living for your finances, you're going to miss the adventure. And so this passage talks about that, this, uh, this quote. Let's follow along. He says, so God says, to so this, you know, this new believer, remember we're breaking in the middle of this conversation. And about your resources, here's a new topic. Um, you offer them up to me and I will assume full control of them. All of them from now on. I want you to manage the day-to-day operations of the resource, right? So everything we own, well, it goes to the Lord, right? And now he's the manager; he owns it, we're the manager. Um, I want you to manage the day-to-day operations of these resources, but only under my supervision, I'm in control. And the believer says, hey, I wouldn't have it any other way. And so God says, all right, now that I'm in control and I'm supervising, and you're just managing, here's my first request. And this kind of deals with the whole tithing issue, the Old Testament Throat break. My first request is that you take uh, the first 10% of all you earn and give it to the church you belong to. Do you understand? Is that complicated? Can I trust you to do that? That's my first request. And then, after you've demonstrated faithfulness in that simple matter, that's going to qualify you. You know, here, because it's so great, it's going to qualify you to move on into the adventure of resource management that I'm going to lead you on the rest of your life. I'm going to involve you in some spine tingling tales of giving and receiving of divesting and investing. I'm going to have you give money to some fascinating projects and some unlikely people. And then I'm going to flow resources back into your life so you can continue the process. You see what he's saying here? We're part of his movement. You see, we're part of his movement. Jesus has a movement on earth. He wants to use us to fund that movement. He's going to give us funds to do it. And when we're faithful with the funds, he'll give us more to do it more. You see, we're part of his movement. Okay, so I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to flow resources back into your life so you can continue the process. Last paragraph. I'm going to involve you in some daring rescues, some fantastic answers to prayer. I'm going to take you on an adventure that's going to be one of the most exciting aspects of the Christian life, an adventure in resource management. Isn't that great? Okay, so we're part of this movement. Now, as we wrap up this message, I want to ask you a couple questions, all right? Before we do this, I need you to do something a little unusual. I want you to take your Bibles and put them away, right? Take your note sheets, put them away. I want to take you on a journey. It's an imaginary journey, okay? I want to go there together in a mind. So I'm going to ask you to do something. It's going to feel a little weird, but let's just, you know, if we're all doing it together, how weird can it be? So I want you to, uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is i going ask you to close your eyes, maybe bow your head. We're going to dim the lights. And I want to take you on a journey. I want to take you back to that warm Galilean day. That city where a rich young leader was raised. I want you to see the walls of the city. I want you to see the green hills outside the city and that dusty road leading out of town. In the distance you can see the young teacher and his band of brothers. Their backs are to us. They're heading out of town. Their mission is done. Now entering from the right of the picture frame, I want you to see our rich young leader. He's dressed in his finest designer clothes. You can't believe it. You've never seen this happening before, but I want you to see him in your mind's eye. I want you to see him running down the road. As he gets close, I want you to visualize Jesus turning around with his men. They hear the running of feet. Surprised to see this man coming to them. And I want you to see him out of breath, dropping down to his knees, looking up into Jesus' eyes, their eyes locking. Now you know the conversation. We talked about it today. I want you to see the shock on this young man's face when Jesus gives him instructions to go back and sell it all. I want you to picture that. I want to picture the love in Jesus' eyes. I want you to picture the shock in this young man's face, the fear in his eyes. They got it right there. Now without losing that picture, I want you to do so. I want you to substitute your face for the young man's face. Okay, so you're there now. You're, you're eye to eye to Jesus. I just wanted to lock on. I want you to hold that picture as I ask you these two questions. You're there now. You're on your knees. You're in front of Jesus that day, right? It's you. And so here's the question, number question number one, is if if it were you that day, what would you have said to Jesus if he told you, for you, the key to eternal life was to sell it all? Now here's the second question. The second question is, is as Jesus comes to you today in your life, you're there now, keep locked on with him. He comes to you today. If he were to ask you today to surrender your finances, everything you have, everything you are, you're giving, you're spending, you're investing, you're saving, so that you can join him and travel with him from this point on, on the adventure of a lifetime, If he were to ask you today, right here, right now, what would you say? Can I tell you something? This is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. I can guarantee you the moment you surrender your finances to Jesus, absolutely, your life with him will change. You will move to a whole new level because you will be about his movement And when you become about his movement, he begins to confide in you in ways he would not confide before. Because the word said that God confides in those who fear him. So Jesus is inviting you to an adventure. And if you've never surrendered all that you are and all that you have in your finances to him, today is the day you need to do that. It's not an option. There's no option here because Jesus said no man, no woman can serve two masters. Lord, as we come to you today as your people here at the church of Rocky Peak, learning what it means to look like followers, God, we want to give you all that we are and all that we have. Today, Lord, in a holy moment, we surrender that now to you so that we can join you so that we don't have to go back sad, that we can come with you on the journey. Amen. Lord, that's the uh, prayer of our hearts today, that we want to surrender every area of our life. And God, today the topic's been finances. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us. We pray you'd bless us as a congregation financially. Lord, that you'd resource us so we can resource your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you'd teach us how to give. We teach us how to spend. Teach us how to enjoy. You teach us how to invest and how to save. God, for it's all part of managing the resources you've given us. And we just want to surrender it all, Lord, so we can run after you full speed, not tied to things that will perish, but run with the joy of your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, last night after the service, someone caught me and said, wow, you know, good sermon, tough topic, but it's a hard one to teach on. And I always laugh when people say, it's not hard for me to teach on this. It's just not, you probably picked that up. It's just that... <laughs> it. You know, if, if, if I could tell you, hey, here's one area of your life that when you surrender, your whole relationship with Jesus will change. I guarantee you, you'll become partners with him. Like, why wouldn't I want to talk about that? Right? Why wouldn't I want to talk about that? Really? It's like uh, you watched in your life. I talked to a man last night, and he's like, he came to Christ. You know, he said... He's uh, probably 65, came to Christ about five years ago and talked about how he'd stepped out in faith in this year. how God blessed him and changed his life. Why wouldn't you want to talk about that? Jesus says to not talk about it would be the only person who wouldn't want to talk. is a fool, right? Yeah. right? This is big time stuff. May God bless you. May he bless your life. May he bless you financially. And may he bless you so that you can resource his kingdom. May you learn that this life is not about this life. This life is about the next life. And may he free you from anything that would tie your heart down from running hard after him. May you not walk away sad this week, but whether you give or spend, whether you save or whether you invest, may you all do it with an eye to his kingdom and may he release you into a new journey with him that goes on for the rest of your lives. God bless you. See you next weekend. Well, that's gonna do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at RockyPeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.